0: Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, December 4th, we're studying Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 through 8. The prophet Jeremiah speaks again concerning the righteous branch of David, one who will bring about a deliverance even greater than the deliverance the Lord gave from slavery in Egypt help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Rick Jones. Pastor Jones serves as chaplain and vice president of spiritual life at the Dakota Boys and Girls Ranch in Minot, North Dakota. Pastor Jones, welcome back to Sharp Ryan.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me.
0: So let's talk context this morning, Pastor Jones. We're in Jeremiah 23, and the reason we're in Jeremiah 23 is because it's the Old Testament reading appointed for the first Sunday in Advent for the one-year lectionary. So... Mm-hmm. Just give us some some context with where we are in the season of Advent and where this text shows up and how it fits in this season that prepares us for Christ coming.
1: Sure. Well, Advent is the beginning of the church years. So we're, we're starting over a little bit ahead of the, you know, the secular calendar there, but that's okay. Um, Advent very much the the season of anticipation, a season of getting ready for the birth of the Savior. Uh, Advent, you know, arrival or coming uh, we we're waiting, waiting for that arrival of of the Messiah, the one that had been promised for millennia. And so it's a, a very um, festive season. We, we get very excited about it. We sing a lot of hymns uh, in, the, in the church. Uh, but it all comes down to that idea of anticipation and waiting. And so the, the typical themes in Advent that everyone's familiar with, from, from lighting the candles with the wreath and, and things like that, it's hope, peace. Love and joy. Uh, you like those four, those four weeks leading up to the big event, the, the Christ's Mass, Christmas, the birth of the Savior, the arrival of the light of the world. It all culminates there. And so this star- starts off the whole church year, opens up not just the season of Advent, but the entire church year uh, with that theme of hope. Uh, so having the Old Testament lesson for the first week of Advent, the first week of the church year, we would hopefully expect to see some uh, messianic prophecy and jeremiah does not disappoint in that regard it is it is a a text full of that hope of the christmas season full of the hope that um, believers have waiting for the messiah hope that 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 christ that chosen one will put about uh, all of the victory and, and glory that God has in store for his people. And so we see some of that in this this passage. It's, it's partnered with a couple of texts that I think build onto this this hopeful idea. Um, the the epistle lesson is Romans 13, 11 through 14. They sometimes add a little bit to that, but the idea is that the time has come to wake up, uh, day is coming, light is coming. We have to throw off all our works of darkness and be prepared to live life devoted to that light, uh, that that brightness, that righteousness that God provides. And then the Matthew uh, passages Matthew 22: 1 through9, which is the triumphal entry from Matthew's Gospel. So that rounds out the readings. The gospel lesson, obviously, the triumphal entry ties the entrance of the Savior to Jerusalem to the final stretch of his plan for salvation to Easter, right the the, the final, Parts of his plan, uh, I think that ties in with, with the Christmas season as well. Um, it's it's showing those arrival on the scenes of of the the mission to start or the mission to be accomplished. It's it's God's plan coming to fruition, and so these are good lessons to kind of tie together for that that season of hope, that season of anticipation in in, in Advent.
0: Um, hmm. Yeah. So with with the liturgical context, that then yeah. we find ourselves in Jeremiah. And this is the second text that we've got in this series for Jeremiah. We looked at Jeremiah 33. We're actually, yesterday, we're going to see some themes repeat. In fact, there's a lot of the language that's going to be repeated in the text we've got for today. Uh, Jeremiah is one of those prophets that we do hear from in the lectionary elsewhere, mm-hmm. but maybe not as well known as some of the other prophets. We we know Moses, we know Elijah really well. We hear from them often. Isaiah, we're going to hear a lot from him during this season of Advent and other times during the lectionary. And Jeremiah is one of the major prophets. He writes a lot when yeah. it comes to the Old Testament. We've got the book that bears his name as well as Lamentations. But he's part of that Old Testament history that I think maybe gets a bit neglected sometimes. He, he falls toward the end of Judah, the end of the Southern Kingdom. So as we prepare to look at Jeremiah 23 today, help us into his context. What do we know about Jeremiah and his ministry and particularly where we find ourselves in chapter 23 today?
1: Sure. So the passage here, uh, 23 verses 5 through 8, it ties into, again, that theme of hope uh, very well for Advent. But Jeremiah's context is is one in which they really need that hope. It has to to prevail because uh, he's got well, it's over forty years of ministry. His call is in something like six twenty seven BC, uh, and then we know he's active in writing till at least five eighty six BC um, because he sees Judah change hands several times. It's under Assyrian rule, then it's sort of Independent with a lot of influence from Egypt, um, and then uh, Babylon comes in, and, and they even try to revolt a little bit, which finally leads to their destruction uh, under the Babylonian rulers. Uh, so they've got nothing hope hope for a future of prosperity and redemption and freedom and justice. It's all the people have right now. That's that's kind of the the place that this is set for Jeremiah. It's right. It's either right before that ultimate destruction or shortly after Babylon has sort of taken its position of prominence. That's, that's where we're putting it. Uh, somewhere around maybe 597 BC, uh, the idea is to, to have the messianic oracle line up with the reign of Zedekiah uh, because the, the verses that we're going to look at today, they have a play, a word play on his name. Uh, he is not the faithful, righteous king that uh, his father Josiah was, so the oracle here is is set just before the final exile and the destruction of Jerusalem, so that it can capitalize on on sort of those those textual pieces and that that feel of of utter just despair. People know things aren't going right; they're not going well. They, they've had a, a taste of of some really good things under the the reforms that happened with Josiah and things like that, but now. The political scene has is just sort of degraded back down to do what you want, don't follow the Lord, do what's good in your own heart. Well, this is about political freedom; it's not about spiritual freedom. Uh, we can do this on our own, and Jeremiah has no time for that, as you see in his oracles. Um, he 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 does he's not a fan of the the actions that the rulers are taking and aligning themselves with, with Egypt and trying to do things against Babylon. Babylon needs to happen. It's part of God's plan. Um, but things can go better if they're faithful and they're not going to be faithful.
0: One of the striking things about Jeremiah, as, as you were bringing up there, is that you know, he does have these passages that are full of hope as we will see today, but they're surrounded by false prophets, who try to bring hope, but it's a false hope. I mean, you know, you're yeah. talking about the the context, and people are are looking for things to be good again. They got a taste of of what it could have been under Josiah, who was killed rather tragically in battle, and it really just goes downhill from there for the southern kingdom really quickly. And, and of course, Jeremiah is preaching through it all. It goes downhill politically and especially theologically, yeah. and that's what Jeremiah is preaching against. And and in the midst of that he's surrounded by all this unfaithfulness which i think comes from two fronts as and you you brought them both up one zedekiah this last king whose whose name we'll talk about in a bit you've got the the rulers of israel or of judah who who are being unfaithful and unrighteous and then you've got other prophets and priests who, who ought to be faithful, but are giving the people a false hope. And, and in the middle of all that stands Jeremiah with his message that, I mean, it's, it's really quite striking. Destruction is coming. And I think if you, if you read the book of Jeremiah, that's going to be the bulk of what you're going to see. <laughs> yeah, It's is like, <laughs> you guys get ready because Babylon's coming. And as you said, it needs to happen. This is what's happening because of your unfaithfulness, Judah. But, in that context, then the message of of hope i think really stands out all the more and really fits into a season like advent all the more too as as we you know i mean think through what we 're going through in, in our world today, which has been true throughout the history of the church it 's not like we 're experiencing anything that 's terribly new in all and all when it 's all said and done but but it just i mean that message that 's there that Yes, there is destruction because of your sins. It really makes the hope of the the promise stand out all the more. Uh, what do you think?
1: Yeah, no, I, I'm right with you. And I, if we take a step back to the idea that this is set to open up Advent, I think that's right on track, right? We, I, I mean, I kind of went away from my notes there a little bit. If I go back, we, we see some of that again, right? The setting, this is setting the tone for the whole season, uh, Advent, that season of anticipation, waiting for Christmas. We're waiting for the Messiah. We're waiting for the light figuratively and literally. It's no accident uh, that the church celebrates the arrival of the Christ child, the light of the world in late December. Christmas is always right after the winter solstice, the shortest day of the year. It is then from then on that it will only get lighter. So the light is returning to the world. That's what the people need in in Judah at this time. Their world is dark. Their world is depressed. It's, It's how we all feel in the winter time. And so, a message of hope in the midst of that, it means absolutely everything. Uh, so as we celebrate at this time of year, this season, it's what the people were needing. They needed the light to return. They needed to come back to the world. And eventually uh, with it, that means new life is going to come. Uh, for us, as we look with hope for what the the Christ child means, it means eternal life. It means new life. Um, if we look at it in the season of the year, it means the new life of springtime. What a better time of year could there be to proclaim Christ or God's merciful gift of his son was the light of the world. Then in the middle of the dark, cold winter, um, you could make the argument that the people are experiencing a spiritual winter, a a, a political winter, um, a national winter, if you will, with, with what's going on in the time of Jeremiah, when he's, he's proclaiming these things. um, And so I think it makes perfect sense that we're going to tie this message of hope specifically with that message of hope that we're going to open the church here with. We're going to point towards the coming of of the Christ, waiting, hopefully, with anticipation for what that is going to mean for all of us.
0: Um, Yeah, I mean, Jeremiah, again, if we put this about 597 BC, so around the time that Babylon comes the first time. And takes some exiles away, sets up Zedekiah as almost a, a puppet king of sorts who, yeah. who ends up, you know, fading, fading out anyways, because he, he, he rebels. Yeah, the light is, I mean, to use that, that image with the light, it's going out. They, they see it growing dimmer and dimmer. And the, the question becomes, and again, this fits perfectly with Advent and the time of year that we're in. Mm-hmm. How will that light be kindled again? And the false prophets have one answer. Jeremiah's got the right answer, the the and the right answer goes through. I mean, and this is just very striking. It's it goes through death to bring about resurrection. The false prophets <laughs> don't want any part of that death. They just want the like, oh, it's all going to be okay. I, I think it's Jeremiah seven talks about you know people are saying peace, peace, but there's really not any peace. And the text that comes after this and later in Jeremiah twenty three gets to that same idea that there's these prophets who are just saying, hey, look, everything's going to be fine. They want the resurrection without the death. And Jeremiah says, no, the sinful nature, the evil has to be put to death. But from that, God's going to raise you to new life. And, and as you said, all of that ties so nicely into what we're doing here in Advent, pointing toward the one in whom all these prophecies are fulfilled, who is, is Jesus Christ. Any more introductory comments, response to that before we jump into the text?
1: Um. I, I don't think so. I think that, that kind of covers right. it. I mean, there's more little things we could get to here and there, things that aren't necessarily on topic, but so we,
0: we can get right <laughs> in the text. You know. All right. Let's go Jeremiah 23 then. So Jeremiah 23, the appointed text is verses five through eight. Just to give a bit of a taste of what we've been talking about, I'm going to read verses one through four as well to get some of that uh, woe and judgment that Jeremiah preaches that will really, I think, help us to to feel the the hope that comes in five through eight. So this is Jeremiah 23, beginning at verse one. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people. You have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and I will bring them back to their fold and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them and they shall fear no more nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. And now comes the appointed text. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt but as the Lord lives, who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, then they shall dwell in their own land. That is the text for first Sunday in Advent, one year lectionary, Jeremiah 23, 5 through 8, also reading verses 1 through 4 at the beginning. So Pastor Jones, let's talk a little bit about five and six to get us started. These are familiar words. As I said, we, we looked at Jeremiah thirty three fourteen through 16 yesterday, which is another appointed Advent text in a different lectionary. Jeremiah's saying the same stuff here. So, and but it, I mean, it's okay because there's plenty to look at. So the days are coming declares the Lord. What's he talking about? What's, what's Jeremiah doing here in these first couple of verses?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a, uh a familiar sort of prophetic opening, right? The days are coming and thus says, or thus declares the Lord. Uh, These phrases open a lot of messianic prophecies, whether it's about the coming end day, when when the Lord is going to put all things in order, when he's going to redeem all things, uh, bring about his ultimate salvation, or it, it could be even just, he's going to do a very specific thing in the context of the history of Israel. More often than not, it's both of those things, right? We can see it in both lights. And I think the same is true here. Uh, having Thank you for reading those first four verses because I think that pairs really well uh, with what Jeremiah is doing here, um, especially as he mentions specifically the shepherds, the unrighteous shepherds in those first four verses. Where here here. He's taking that idea, but he's shifting it a little bit more clearly clearly. Um, Yes, they're gonna be shepherds, but specifically this is a branch from David. Um, the shepherd, we use that today to talk about our pastors in, in our congregations and in the church. Um, but for Israel, it was really, in Judah, uh, it, was, it was really more about that's the, the role that their king was supposed to have. He was supposed to be a shepherd for the people, that, that, that faithful leader to take care of them and protect them, to guide them as a shepherd does and David then being the ultimate shepherd king is the perfect idea of what that king is supposed to be and yet even after David there's going to come a more perfect one and so that's what's what's happening here he's taking what he started with in the first four verses and he's amplifying it he's he's focusing on a new facet of it right it's it's classical hebrew parallelism here it's it's beautiful prose and beautiful poetry to take the same idea the same concept repeated in a slightly different way so you can understand a new nuance so here opening it up he's telling us get ready i'm giving you a prophetic vision here because thus says the lord or the day is coming when he's going to accomplish his salvation um, we we see him clarify it by using the idea of a branch uh, as the description of a ruler in the line of david this is covenant language right it's tying it back to the promises that god has made to the people God's covenant with David uh, was that there would be always be one of his descendants on the throne. And so he's giving us an indication. This is that type of prophecy. This is a, mess- a messianic prophecy. This Davidic king will be righteous in his own right. It's not necessarily from the people or from his anything else. It's he, in his own right. He is righteous as part of his nature. He will not act righteous. He is righteous um, by extension, his reign will then bring wisdom, justice, and righteousness to the land. This shows that the, the whole nation can now be blessed by one person upholding and fulfilling the law of the Lord. And they use the proper name of God here. Uh, it's Yahweh, the law of Yahweh. It's Yahweh's declaration here. The validity of the Messiah is shown by that connection with, with. it's, it's sent by Yahweh himself and connection to the rightful king, being of lineage with with David, but tied directly to the work of Yahweh. And then it says, I will raise up. That is the Lord's promise and the Lord will raise up a king for his people. Furthermore, in this case, it is the branch, the Messiah God has specifically chosen to bring his righteousness to the people. It doesn't matter who the people are, Yeah, they're making mistakes and they're sinful people too, but this is specifically about their leader. Their leaders have been not good, not faithful, not righteous. And so God needs to provide that righteous leader for them. And that's what he's setting out to do. And he's setting up what that's going to look like and who that person is here in verse five. Um, Mm -hmm. We pair it with verse six and you had mentioned Jeremiah 33, that passage there, Verses 5 and 6 are actually a doublet with, with Jeremiah 33, 15, and 16. And the prophet repeats the same promise of, of a redemption coming through David's branch as a just king whose title is Yahweh is our righteousness. It's a bigger allusion to the hopeful promise of the Messiah that appears over and over again in Jeremiah's preaching, but here his themes are, are consistent and true. Uh, doublets are also a nod and, and overall to the overall structural motifs of, again, that Hebrew parallelism, repeated thoughts and phrases added, to the aesthetic beauty of of the Hebrew poetry. And here verses five and six are usually considered poetry. The second two verses we're gonna look at are are considered prose, but again, they play off of each other in, in those beautiful poetic ways. And so that's how he's setting it up with verse five. The messianic king is coming.
0: Yeah. I mean, when, when something is repeated in the scriptures, it usually means it's pretty important and we probably should pay attention. So, so Jeremiah clearly wants this message of the righteous branch from the line of David. He wants that pounded into the people's ears and they need to hear it. Yeah. I mean, just setting the context with those first four verses, I, I think is important because you see where the unfaithfulness is coming from. I mean, certainly all the people of Judah are sinners and and bear a part in the sin that's happening, the idolatry that's happening, sure. the way things have declined. Uh, but there are a lot of the people of Judah at this time who are primarily the sinned against ones. They are the ones who are trying to be faithful to the Lord and his promises, trying to listen to the faithful prophet Jeremiah. Uh, meanwhile, you've got those who should be Shepherds to them. And as you said, that's tied to what Israel considered their king to be. I mean, the, when Psalm twenty three, when Psalm twenty three says the Lord is my shepherd, we should be thinking the Lord is my king. And yeah. I mean certainly all the, the beautiful imagery there of, of sheep on a hillside, that, that, not to take away from that. But for the Lord to be shepherd means the Lord is king. He's the one who reigns. And you, you tied that to David and and rightly so. Right now, the people of Judah have unfaithful shepherds, shepherds who are not giving them what the Lord wants them to have. And, and so to those, to those who are sinned against, the news that you get in verses five through eight of this chapter is just pure gospel Absolutely. because, I mean, the, the message is, look, you've got unfaithful leaders, but the Lord has not forgotten you. And, and he's going to give you one who will be faithful. And I love what you said, you know, the Lord will raise up for David a righteous branch, which I, I mean, and I maybe I'm, I'm, I don't know, this could be pushing a little bit farther than, than we need to, but no, I will raise up for David a righteous branch. This is going to be the Lord's doing. Yes. And it's, it's not, if I can tie it, I'm, I'm trying to maybe tie it even to the virgin birth, just to say that, like, look, this isn't, This isn't just the normal order of things. Well, of course, David's got a line that's going to continue. No, no, no. the Lord is going to raise up this righteous branch. But again, to those who are being misled, to those who are being sinned against by those who are leading them, these verses are just, I mean, just so sweet gospel.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I don't know that you're necessarily pushing too hard. Um, It might not be overt in the text, but that's definitely the way in which God acts, right? He acts contrary to expectation, or contrary to human expectation. Human expectation is to have a child, you need a mother and a father. And God says, nope, I'm going to do this. I am the father. So I think tying it to the virgin birth works very, very well. What a beautiful connection or or handle to use um, for for preaching for this this time of year. I think that's that's a a very uh, faithful place to go. But yeah, again, that emphasis on the Lord is going to do this for his people. That's how he acts over and over and over again. That is the only message of hope. If it's on us, there's no hope at all.
0: Right. Yeah. And and what a what a wonderful thing to hear during the season of Advent as we wait. Yes. And, and the waiting that we have is a waiting for the celebration of the, the first coming of Christ on Christmas, but even more than that, a waiting for our Lord to return on the last day. And to deliver us from, I mean, as we say in the, the catechism, this veil of tears in the mm-hmm. in the seventh petition of the Lord's prayer. We're, we're waiting for that, for that light to shine fully upon us, for the Lord to reign as king. And we see that with our own eyes. What, what a day that will be. And what hope Jeremiah gives to the people living in the 500s BC and to us still today. I think we'll go ahead and take our break here. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We will be right back. Please stick around. In 2020, the world was blindsided. At the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, we quickly refocused on how to best serve the church. Our COVID-19 response team took action, reaching out and listening to our borrowers. In response, we offered a number of financial remedies that allowed our borrowers time to stabilize. We also provided online streaming kits for churches, gift cards for food pantries, financial support for LCMS church workers, and much more. Life's not yet back to normal, and that's why we're still here for you. Visit lcef.org to learn more. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, December 4th. We're looking at Jeremiah 23 verses five through eight. We've got Pastor Rick Jones with us. He serves as chaplain and vice president of spiritual life at the Dakota Boys and Girls Ranch in Minot, North Dakota. Pastor Jones, prior to the break, we we're talking about verses five and six, where the prophet promises the righteous branch that the Lord will raise up from the line of David and this righteous branch will reign as King. He will deal wisely he says he will execute justice and righteousness. And that then plays into his name. The name is the Lord is our righteousness. What's the significance of this name born by this branch from the line of David?
1: Yeah. Well, um, Hebrew word, tzadik, uh, idea of righteousness. And so the name here. Yahweh is our righteousness. Our righteousness comes not from ourselves, not from our own doing. It comes from God alone. And what's interesting is they have a king at this time named Zedekiah. Zedekiah means Yahweh is righteous, which is true. That's absolutely correct. The Lord is righteous. But Zedekiah himself is not righteous. He is not a wise, just king who brings righteousness to the land. He has forsaken the faithful reforms of his father, Josiah, And he ends up being basically convinced to revolt against Babylon. And therefore he's revolting against God's will um, before what then leads to Babylon destroying Jerusalem and the entire kingdom of Judah. This is in direct opposition also to Jeremiah's advice, what he has been preaching and and telling this this shepherd king, right? Because that's what they are again, uh, what he should do. And he does the opposite. Jeremiah knows the, the truth of Zedekiah's character. And so here he is showing Judas King to be a false leader, a one of those false shepherds. He does not bear the proper name of righteousness. He is an imposter. Uh, so history soon shows Jeremiah to be correct when the people are led away, weeping over their homeland's destruction. But so the play on words there is instead of, I believe the Hebrew would be the the Lord is our righteousness versus Zedekiah, the Lord is righteous. Again, both are true, but the idea that in this prophecy, the king, the righteous king is going to be the Lord is our righteousness, that's different than the current king. He is not the symbol of righteousness. He is not the one that's bringing God's righteousness to the people for the people. Um, and again, this, this is echoing the, the previous verse. The parallelism of the Hebrew poetry comes out to echo the promise of verse five, but the new emphasis here is in the days of the king. The prophet will... will people, excuse me, will dwell securely. When they have the the proper king, there will be peace. They will have that safety in their lives. That only comes through the chosen Messiah. It is not their actions or efforts that bring about the community of peace. It is the righteous kings only. So his title again says it all. The Lord is our righteousness. The people are not righteous on their own. Instead, the Lord, Yahweh, provides their righteousness. He does so through this chosen king. Yahweh is our righteousness. It is he alone who is that source. This is such clear gospel language. eh? The grace alone language is all over the place. God provides the blessing and the means. It's not dependent upon man. It's God alone who acts for our salvation. So then when you see that idea, that concept being communicated through this proclamation, and then you compare that to the king who has a name that sounds kind of like that, but you see his actions completely contrary to what's proclaimed. It, it it shows him and reveals him to be the the false shepherd, the false king, that false protector and guide.
0: Right. So I mean the the contrast there is is quite striking. With the name Zedekiah and then this king, the righteous yeah. branch from the line of David. The Lord is our righteousness. The the Lord is our Zedekiah, yeah. which I mean, and I know that's not exactly how yeah, the yeah. Hebrew phrases it, but that that's basically the gist is that, look, you, your king, he is not righteous. Yeah. And the reason, you know, the reason that he's not righteous is is not only because of his character, but it's because he doesn't believe this, that yeah. the Lord is his righteousness. He, he's not righteous because he doesn't have the righteousness that comes from faith. He's seeking a, a righteousness that comes through his own, I mean, you know, we could, we could talk about this all day long. It's really probably a different Bible study, but <laughs> his political maneuverings, yeah, right? This, yeah. is, this is how every time the kings of Judah or Israel go wrong, it, it tends to be because they're looking for hope, for security, for righteousness, for justice in whatever political machinations they can come up with on their own. Yeah. And it always goes poorly for them. Oh sure, and and the message of the prophets is this: the Lord is your righteousness, not not this Zedekiah guy here, but the Lord Yahweh. He's the one who is your righteousness. Which really, I mean, there's like there's the gospel in the Old Testament over and over and over again.
1: Yeah, constantly, constantly. Um, and and I, I mean, this to me even goes back to to Samuel, right? The people are begging for a king, and, and he's trying to warn them, no, you don't want a king. They're, they're going to lead you astray, they're going to exploit you. It's not what you want. But they, you know, keep demanding it. And, and God has to say, it's not you they're rejecting, it's me. And that's that's just the sin stain on our hearts, right? We will always reject God by putting ourselves on the throne. And we do that through whether it's, it's political machinations, whether it's seeking out wealth or influence or fame or power or whatever. Insert whatever self-idolatry you want. It's all the same thing. And yes, the, the, the bad kings, the unfaithful kings of Israel and Judah are guilty of it all. And here, Jeremiah the prophet is boldly pointing that out to his king. He's saying, you king, are these false ones. Oh. And that to me, that's, that's incredibly bold, but what faith. Hmm.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, and Jeremiah suffers for it. Uh, we oh, talked a yes. little about this yeah. yesterday. Yeah, I mean, he's often called the weeping prophet oh, yeah. because of, all the ways that he suffers, yeah. I think he he's thrown into a well. He's got one of his scrolls that gets burned, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the the people generally don't like him because, as, as you've said, you know, I mean, he's constantly telling the people destruction is coming. God is going to judge you for your sins, yeah. and they they don't ever get past that. It seems, at least not not by and large. There's always a, a faithful remnant, of course, sure. But for the for the most part, they they don't want to hear that. They like what the false prophets are saying. You yeah. know, we we just came out of Second Timothy not long ago here on Sharp Iron that the itching ears just weren't say, yeah. a new thing. Yep, it's what the itching that,
1: ears want to hear.
0: Right. Right, and and so I mean Jeremiah, yeah, the the boldness of him. I mean, he he talks about elsewhere. Ah, maybe we'll have to study Jeremiah here on Sharp Iron sometimes, so we can look <laughs> at these texts. Yeah, he talks about the word of God burning like a fire within him that he tried to to hold it in, but he just couldn't. Yeah. I mean, and, and you know, of course, he would have tried to hold it in. No, you don't want to preach these things, but when that's what the Lord gives you to preach. Yep. You, you preach it as, the, as Ezekiel says, the faithful watchman crying out lest danger befall the people. And that's, yeah. that's what Jeremiah wants so that they can, again, so they can hear this this message and put their hope where it really needs to be. Absolutely. The Lord is our righteousness. Yeah, Because, I mean, and as you said, history bore it out. Yeah. Zedekiah let them down, but yeah. the Lord won't. That's what Jeremiah has. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's,
1: it's, it's the... The, the message of repentance over and over and over again, right? You have to turn away from idolatry and turn back to the Lord. So turn away from your false idol, this this earthly king. Turn away from your false idol, this this other nation that you think is going to help you. You have to turn away from putting your hope and your faith in that and turn back to putting your hope and faith in the true God, the true king that will set all to right, that will be your righteousness, your source of it and the author of it. That's what we see over and over and over again it's 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 yeah turn away from your sin and turn towards God it's it's simple repentance hmm.
0: yeah yeah Sim- simple repentance that isn't always so simple well, which, yeah. I mean you know that... even <laughs> not
1: so much yeah but that's, <laughs> that's what right it needs to happen if, if they are going to get this message of hope that can give them a real future that's how it has to happen yeah. repentance for your sin and, and returning to the Lord and unfortunately, Jeremiah knows that that only happens this time through Babylon. Hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and then, but again, the Lord does that to, to use the, the theological terms. He does that alien work yeah, of his, yeah. the one that's not proper to him, yeah. of, of putting to death with the law so that he can do his proper work of raising to life in his son, Jesus Christ. Which, of course, is, and, and Matt, we'll make sure we save some time, but this is where this is all pointing, yes, you know, and, yes. and hopefully hopefully that's, that's pretty clear as we're talking about how Zedekiah couldn't have been this king. You start looking through the rest of history. Well, where does this king come? You got to look at Jesus and, and and we'll get there. We'll yeah, get there. Yeah. So let's let's take a look at, at seven and eight because seven and eight really do go together. Yeah. The prophet again, uses this formula. The days are coming declares the Lord. And, and well, what's going to happen in these days that are coming? People aren't going to, say, as the Lord lives. So it sounds like a, an oath of some kind. They're not going to take an oath in the Lord's name based on the exodus, but on something else that, that's found in verse eight. How do these verses go together? What is Jeremiah talking about here?
1: Sure. So you, you pointed out again, he opens it up with the same prophetic introduction. Behold, and the days are coming. Um, it's, it's, it's again, a, a parallel structure with with five and six, five and six being the poetic Sort of structuring of it and seven and eight being more prose, uh, but it's a parallel and expanded companion. Uh, this time the focus moves from God's righteous king to the impact and blessings that will be manifested for the people through that king. So the miraculous works God will do through this righteous king will be so glorious that they are going to overshadow even the Exodus. This is incredible because the Exodus event has been an identifying feature for both the Israelites and the, the Lord God himself. Um, we see it in the beginning of the Ten Commandments, right? He identifies himself as the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt um, before he then gives them the identifying rules and features of their community with the commandments themselves. He identifies himself as, as the God who delivers, the same identifier is used all over the Old Testament, in the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings. It is an identifying feature for the Israelites as well as as because the Passover is their major holiday, right? It's got celebra- celebrations and, and traditions and festivals that tie into we are the people that the Lord brought out of Egypt. You know, they even the, the seder meals and all of it tie back into that. And so they're they're used to the Exodus event. Uh, the ones being brought out of Egypt, out of slavery, to describe their identity and their relationship with God throughout the entirety of the Old Testament. And that reaches into the New Testament, too, uh, with those traditions continuing. Um, and we see that sometimes in the interaction of Jesus and the people, right? We, we, we've never been slaves, right? We, we, we are children of Abraham. Uh, and they tie it always back to we haven't been slaves. We, we were saved from that. It's part of who they are, but this miraculous work, this new work that he's going to do through this new righteous King, this, this Messiah is going to overshadow that it's going to eclipse the Exodus in the gathering of God's people from all over the earth. They will be called together into a new community under this righteous and just King. They will be delivered from the world to be formed together as a new people of the Messiah. So he's giving them a new identity. Um, I think some key words in here give us some indication of, of some key features. So the listing of the north country is, is almost certainly an allusion to Babylon, those who had already been taken in, in some of the earlier sort of mini exiles that happened. But then it's also pointing to those that would be taken in the final exile that would leave Jerusalem in ruins. I think this also shows the truth of Jeremiah's prophecy, obviously, that he's telling the truth that this is going to happen. The exile events are true and utterly devastating for the people. And so that's what they need hope from. What do you provide for hope and identity for people that have been scattered and everything's been taken from them? This prophet provides a message of hope that gives them a glimpse of how the Lord will restore them as a people and community of peace, of comfort, of those that can find refuge not in their own righteousness, but in that righteousness that comes from their true king, their God. That's that's I think what seven and eight are doing. They they move they move the focus from who this this righteous one is to what this righteous one is going to do for them. And here it's provide them a new identity, one greater than the Exodus, greater than the ones who had been brought out of Egypt. This new identity is be those that are gathered together in His name in a life of 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 peace. Hmm.
0: It is a really striking thing for Jeremiah to say something bigger than the Exodus is coming. Right. Because as you said, <laughs> I mean, that's, and I, I love that you, you pointed out that that's how the Lord introduces what we usually call the 10 commandments or the 10 words there in Exodus chapter 20. It, in some, I, be, I believe it's in the, in the Jewish counting of the commandments still today, they actually label that as the first one yes. that, that I I am I'm the Lord, God. your God. And so, I mean, for for Jeremiah to come and say something bigger than the Exodus is coming is, yes. is just a huge thing because the Exodus was really, I mean, like it, it would, the Exodus sermon, if I can say it this way, the Exodus I sermon think. is like our Easter sermon. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, that's, that's how big of a deal it is in the old Testament. It's, it's all over the Psalms. It's there in Exodus 20, as you said, for Jeremiah to say something bigger than that is coming really is going to perk their ears. And and I appreciate you also bringing out, look, this is showing the truth of Jeremiah's own prophetic ministry here, that the things that he spoke actually happened, yes. particularly the, the matter of judgment. And of course the matter of return as well, but the, the matter of judgment, we, we looked at at the very beginning of this series, Deuteronomy 18 is one of the Advent texts. and And in Deuteronomy 18, Moses says, that there's going to be a prophet like him that's coming. And of course that starts a, a line of prophets that's ultimately fulfilled in Christ. Yeah. But, but one of the things that we find out there is, well, how do you know if, if it's a prophet in the line of Moses or not? Well, the, the question is, does what he says happen? And yeah. for Jeremiah, it does. And so Jeremiah is proved by the Lord to be one of the true prophets here. So it, with verse eight, then laying out this, uh, Bigger than the Exodus <laughs> deliverance that the Lord is going to bring about. I guess the, the question is, and this I think can, can lead us into the sort of the, the wrap up for this. We've got about 10 minutes here. It, wh- what is this event? I mean, on, on the surface, and I think you, you mentioned this on the surface. Okay. The Lord who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the North country, mm-hmm. out of all the countries where he'd driven them. You know, if we take no- the North country as Babylon, You get the return from Babylon when you get the edict of Cyrus in 539, 538 BC, where Judean exile start to come back. The temple is rebuilt later under Ezra and Nehemiah. I mean, so you've got that return from exile. What is this big event that Jeremiah is talking about in verse eight that's bigger than the exodus?
1: Yeah. Well, again, uh, most prophecy we can see is being fulfilled in history, but then also looking forward to the way that Christ ultimately fulfills all of it. So, yes, I think we, we see some of this um, fulfilled there in their return. But clearly, that's not a return that overshadows the Exodus. That's not a, a return that overshadows the Passover as they're weeping as they dedicate the the new temple. Right. That's that's not. There must be something more that Jeremiah is pointing to. And so I think, yeah, his his Messianic proclamation, it's waving a banner of hope for those suffering in a time of national uncertainty for those that lived through it. Um, those who have been uprooted by exile, those with, with no, uh, no more home or, or comfort of their own. Um, they're given divine promise to hold on to. They're given that prophetic hope of, of the Messiah, gathering them together as a new community of God's, blessed and cared for people. But this promise is, is, again, supposed to overshadow the exodus. So it has to be something bigger. It has to give them a new identity. So how, how is this new identity something that they're going to understand to be able to unite themselves? Uh, understanding all this is through, I think for us, very clearly, it's through the lens of the nativity. It makes Jeremiah 23, 5 through 8 a wonderful lesson to open up the Advent season Christians are scattered throughout the globe. Uh, we get to now gather and be united by a righteous and just king, in this case, the Christ child. It's Jesus. Not only do we come together in anticipation through this season to celebrate his birth in, 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 at Christmas, but we are given a new identity through his life, death, and resurrection. Through his saving work, we are made Christians that is an event that overshadows the Passover. This is our identifying feature, our identifying promise from God that through him, through that righteous king, we are made his people. And so the very title, uh, the Messiah is given in verse six, placed perfectly into our Reformation heritage of grace alone and faith alone. The work of salvation is found completely in the Lord. God Himself is the source of His people's righteousness. This is the way He blesses and saves His people in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and today. It is an eternal promise of an eternal Christ. So, even going back, if we want to say, "Well, it overshadowed the Exodus," well, that was all God's work too, right? The the, the plagues were His wonders. The the Exodus is His doing. It's His work, giving them the 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 rules uh, to live by, the the proclamations. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, however we want to talk about them, that's him doing it for them. That's creating their identity and now he's doing it again uh, by gathering us together under his son, under his Messiah, our righteous king. it's 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 who he's now called and created us to be through him. So we're able to see that uh, you know through that that lens of nativity, but we're also able to see the gathering that happens, under the banner of God's chosen Messiah as the prefiguring, I think, of the eternal gathering that we will all enjoy in Christ's heavenly kingdom. Again, that's the ultimate fulfillment of this. Yes, we saw it fulfilled in history as they were returning. They can still be united in the the faith that a a greater Messiah is coming. But now we're seeing it point forward to the ultimate reality that he is going to redeem it all. Uh, It is the true it is true that God calls us together here in this life as his church, the body of Christ. And it is true that um, he provides peace and security for us in our communities through his sovereign wisdom and justice, right? That righteous king will bring wisdom and justice. But all of this is just a foretaste of the eternal peace and security that he has provided in Christ. Whether it's the Old Testament people in exile or New Testament people facing persecution under, under Rome or, or whoever, or us modern Christians facing whatever modern struggles we may be presented with. The promise of God's Messiah is true for his people. He is our hope. He is our salvation. Just as the prophet Jeremiah proclaims, it is the Lord Yahweh, who then is now identified as Jesus, is our righteousness.
0: I think uh, one of the things that I'm, I'm noticing here— from, from what you're saying and what's there in verses seven and eight is that Jeremiah really takes the people to the end of the story yeah. in the way that he preaches this. You know, I mean, where the, the quotes are, are put there in verse eight in the ESV text, there's a, just one yeah. sentence that it might be easy to, to ignore, but I think it's really important that he ends verse eight with, then they shall dwell in their own land. Yeah and and again not that not that the exodus didn't do that the exodus was the beginning of the journey that took them to the promised land uh, but but the way that jeremiah preaches it notice you know he says look there's something bigger coming than the lord taking you out of egypt and and what's bigger is that he's going to bring you back he's going to give you this this eternal home and I mean, just, just thinking through, you know, the season of Advent and, and where we are as Christians, I love the way that you, you've you framed it, that these things are fulfilled in Christ. You know, he, he even talks about his own death and resurrection as an exodus a, and a greater exodus with Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. Yeah. So that, you know, his deliverance that he accomplishes is this great bigger event of gathering his people, Israel, all those who trust in him, regardless of what their nationality is. He gathers them all together in his church. And and this preaching of Jeremiah here then takes us to the end of the story as well. And this is Advent. I mean, what are we waiting for? We're waiting for the Lord to return. And take us to dwell in our own land, and we get a foretaste of that in in worship each week as we partake of the 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 foretaste of the feast to come in the in the holy communion and in the in the body and blood of Jesus. But we're we're waiting for that, and Jeremiah is is still pointing us to that same reality today of the the completion of this greater deliverance that Christ has accomplished in His death and resurrection that He's going to bring to us in its fullness. When he returns to take us then to dwell in in our heavenly land, in the new heavens and new earth, where as, as he says in the first part of the text, we will be saved, we will dwell securely. I yeah. mean, all of all of this is, is completed in Christ. You got about two minutes here to, to help us wrap things up, Pastor Jones.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think regardless of of the circumstances that we find ourselves in in, in these days, right? Things, things are rough. Things are hard. Things are difficult. Things are so frustrating and sometimes mind-boggling for us. But that's what these messages are for. It was the same for them millennia ago when they're facing exile and uncertainty at the hands of, of new foreign powers. They need something that will last beyond this life. And that's exactly what Jeremiah is giving them. He, he, he may have preached it thousands of years ago, But the message is still true for us today. No matter what we face, no matter what we need, it's all provided in Christ, the chosen, promised, righteous King. In him, we have our new identity. It's not about being just called out of one event. It's about being called out of all broken events in this life. We are all now gathered together under his banner, under his righteousness, under his wisdom and justice. That's what he provides for us in this life as we are gathered as his people, Christians, the church. But ultimately, it's what he's getting us ready for, to gather us eternally in his perfect kingdom where there will be perfect peace, perfect justice, and perfect righteousness. That's what he promises to establish. And again, it's not anything we are doing. He is our righteousness. He is our source of that salvation. And what a wonderful hope to point us towards as we wait for that light to come into the world.
0: Pastor Rick Jones is chaplain and vice president of spiritual life at the Dakota Boys and Girls Ranch in Minot, North Dakota, helping us this morning with Jeremiah 23 verses 5 through 8. Pastor Jones, thanks for being our guest today. Absolutely. I appreciate being on. The Lord is our righteousness. He is our righteousness, not Zedekiah, not any earthly king, but the Lord himself who accomplishes a deliverance for us, even greater than the one he worked in the Exodus. The deliverance that comes through our Lord Jesus Christ, through his death and his resurrection. And we're waiting for him, waiting for him to return and take us to dwell in our own land in safety forever with him.